Hey guys, got some really exciting news. Until September 30th, if you go to recoveryeffects.com and make a purchase and at checkout use the code PODMOD20, you will get 20% off of your order plus free shipping. PODMOD20 at recoveryeffects.com. 20% off. Get it. All right. This episode is brought to you by Recovery Effects and AI Synthesis. I'm going to show you a little patch here that I made with some of their modules. Um, right now, I've got Peaks holding down that bass drum and a Bacillus Ateritas uh, holding that hi-hat pattern, um, which is being controlled by the Shuffling Clock Multiplier by uh, 4MS, which I'm having a lot of fun with. Um, they are not a sponsor of the show, but I want to talk about how much I love those three modules that I just mentioned. Um, but let's start talking about some of our sponsors. You can hear the oscilloscape, the kind of lower volume but higher pitched rhythmic thing that's going on. Um, I'm going to show you how this thing can handle some bass lines. Now I'm going to run that uh, oscilloscape into a couple different recovery effects. First off, I'm going to run it into the cutting room floor. Um, then that's going through a VCA, which is then uh, going through a Dopefer low-pass filter, um, which uh, is being controlled by the maths. So it's pretty wild. Bring that flutter and wow up. Hit that freeze knob. <laughs> it's fun. Um, and then I've also got it, um, let's see, running into uh, the Bad Comrade from Recovery Effects. And I'm controlling the CV in from that uh, with a math. So let's bring that into the mix. And then one more time, split into the Recovery Effects Motormatic. And I'm controlling the uh, CV in on that from the maths as well. So that whole bass line now, coming from the oscilloscape, is being run through three different recovery effects. The Bad Comrade, the Cutting Room Floor, and the Motormatic. Now I'm going to bring the OTA VCF filter in for some color. So I've got the Basimilis Eteritas hi-hat pattern running into that, and then I'm controlling that with uh, also the Make Noise maths. So let's bring that in the mix. Don't forget to head to recoveryeffects.com and add in the promo code PODMOD20 to get a whopping 20% off of your order of modules through September 20th and free shipping. That is quite the deal. They're being very, very generous with that. 20% off. So yeah, get any one of these four modules that I showcased for you today.
Pod Mod Bods. Welcome back to another episode of the Podular Modcast. Today's guest is Ben Wilson, aka Div Kid. We talked for over two hours, so this is going to be a two-parter. So Ben's patch challenge will be next week. Um, in lieu of that, this week I'm just going to throw something up that I've been working on that I uh, hope you guys enjoy. Before we get into this talk, though, I want to talk about a few cool things that are going on in the pod mod world. First up, KEXP and the Living Computers Museum here in Seattle are teaming up to throw an event called Waveform Music and Tech. Uh, it's Sunday, September 9th from 12 to 4 p.m. Um, there's going to be some really cool live performances. And then Patchworks, our local store, is having kind of a little thing called a synth petting zoo <laughs> where four people will be uh, setting up their modular or their synths or whatever and just kind of demoing some stuff and having people come and try stuff out and ask questions and I will be one of those four people. So if you would like to come and check out some awesome live performances and hang out with me and check out my modular setup, uh, yeah, like I said, Sunday, September 9th, 12, 4 p.m. Tickets and details at livingcomputers.org. Second round of business, uh, my label, Cell Center Records, has officially released the Lemon Jaya Rotations EP. Uh, three amazing modular tracks. I highly recommend it. Obviously, I released it on my label. Lemon Jaya is uh, Josh Lim, who is half of Modular on the Spot Seattle. And uh, yeah, I just I really hope you guys could go check that out and enjoy it. It's three bucks. Um, selfcenterrecords.bandcamp.com. And one last thing, thank you so much to you Patreon subscribers. You guys are helping out so much. And if you would like to help, go check out patreon.com forward slash podular modcast. I've got a few new uh, donor tiers up there where you guys can submit some adjectives and nouns to me to make a patch out of. And I can post it on Instagram or YouTube, depending on which one you choose, um, and, and some other really cool stuff. And if you have any ideas of what you would like to see as a donor tier or what you would like to see come out of uh, the, the actual uh, help that I get there, whether it's cassettes, coffee mugs, t-shirts, I'm still trying to figure that out. So uh, yeah, let me know, podmodcast at gmail.com. Cool. Well, yeah, go for it when you're ready. Yeah. Well, I have to say, Ben, you are breaking two records today. You're my furthest away guest and my earliest in the morning guest. Um, and thank you for all the time. It, it took us it took us a few months of Twitter direct messages to get our schedules right because of uh, an eight-hour difference, which you wouldn't think would be you know, a huge uh, roadblock for a conversation, but it, it has been kind of difficult to navigate. So thank you again. Yeah, yeah. It's just the eight hours isn't too bad, depending on how what people do for work. If people are like, yeah, I'm at home all day, that's cool, then that's fine. Uh, same for me as well. Depending on what day it falls on, that's either really doesn't matter and I can be up early or late or just be here through the day or it's really tricky. And yeah, it's taken us a while, but it's all good. Yeah, and I've, well, I've got, I've got a... I, uh, what I what I'm calling lately a, a satanic job in that I wake up at four in the morning pretty much to go to work, so yeah my weekdays are just totally shot. Um, <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so I don't know how much you, how many episodes you've listened to, but usually it's a pretty free flowing, um, just conversation thing. And I don't want to get too into the history of Div Kid because I know there's probably a, a lot of interviews out there, and um, there's definitely a really, really uh, robust bio on the on the website. But do you want to give just kind of a nutshell version of of kind of from lung filler uh, till now? Yeah, I mean, it, it's funny, the amount of these kind of things that I do as well, um, that I don't do that many kind of interviews myself. But yeah, DivKid started um, with me and my friend uh, Andy or Andrew um, making kind of commercial-ish electro dance music, Electro House 2010-ish. Um, we started a label called Lungfiller Records um, purely because as part of the degree that we were doing, you could do a work placement year. Um, I didn't want to go make tea in someone's studio somewhere <laughs> else. Um, by that age and that point, I'd already kind of gigged around a lot of Europe and played festivals and had some music released on smaller labels in the US. So I kind of thought, I don't really want to make tea for a year. Let's just start a label. Um, ended up in a kind of Dragon's Den situation of pitching this business idea to some business, I don't know, department in the university. They gave us some funding and said, go. Um, we had a kind of business manager that was like part-time advice for a year. Um, ran a label, released a lot of dance music. That led to the really crucial point, and just to name drop the guy, uh, meeting Dom Kane. I asked him to do a remix, and at the time he was doing preset sound design for Moog, the Slim Fatty and Little Fatty, I think, mm -hmm. um, and had some stuff out on Dead Mouse's label, X for Records, him and Steve Duda, that kind of world. Um, he did a remix for us. Um, trying to cut a long story short, I asked him about making samples because I'd been kind of designing a lot of my own drum sounds. That came out on Loop Masters, did that for a while, then did some work with Sample Magic, still do a little bit of that stuff, kind of sound design, sample pack stuff. Um, that led to working with um, media library stuff for TV, mainly for Universal. Again, making dance music for the most part, some softer ambient stuff as well. Div Kid kind of fell by the wayside a little bit in terms of me and Andy making music together, uh, just time, life both doing other projects that were kind of exciting and taking us in different directions. Um, and then I said, you know, I want to make a, a video channel. Um, can I use this Div Kid thing we've got? We've got a brand and a silly-looking character. <laughs> Let's, can I run with it? it? Totally cool if not, because it was me and him. So if he'd have said, no, you know, that's mine and your thing, you do it under another name. Um, but I just ran with it because it was all there. We had graphics, we had all this whole silly background to it. Um, Div Kid's got a bio that's, you know, dates him to be 100 years old and all this kind of stupid <laughs> stuff for the character that we had fun with. Um, and that's kind of it. I, I go into the modular video thing, which is why I'm here and why most people will be listening, I guess, purely because at the time there wasn't any content really um james siegel had made a couple of videos milo melodies had made two videos because he was trying to sell gear on ebay uh -huh. and i just kind of said to myself i need to document this scene i want to learn and i can't find a way to learn anything so that kind of takes us up to me getting going i guess okay um yeah um not that fast but that's the quick right. rundown of getting to doing what i'm doing well i encourage listeners to go read uh the silly the silly bio on the div kid website it's it's you'll have a good laugh it's uh yeah it is goofy um what i had a question for you sorry it's 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 early still still finishing my coffee um so what what year about that was you started the youtube channel um i'd have to double check but i think it's 
maybe four or five years ago. Okay. So you started noticing kind of like the beginning rumblings of what I think might be getting close to peaking now is like this resurgence of popularity in modular synthesis. Yeah, um, I was maybe a little bit late to that compared to some people. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Make Noise were around, Harvest Man was around. Um, I remember SynthTech were out. Livewire was still fairly active. Um, unfortunately, they, the um, owner and designer from Livewire passed away not that long after, I don't think. But they were... It was kind of in its... I think people have called it the kind of second wave of Eurorack. We had Dopefer in the mid-90s and analog systems and analog solutions. You know, fast forward into the 2000s, I think Make Noise, Harvest Man, you know, all that starts mm-hmm. to bubble under. Um, and then, yeah, I was maybe a year and a bit before it really started to feel like it grew, you know, seriously, um, like it is now, the kind of start of this big upward ramp that we've been on for the last three years or so. Yeah. Do you think that it's it's at its biggest point maybe in the history of modular synthesis now or, or reaching that? Yeah, I mean, it's got to be. With the amount of Eurorack stuff coming out, it's it has to be the biggest it's been. I don't think it's necessarily the peak, but, um, you know, thinking back through decades back of when Buchler and Surge and Moog, mm-hmm. um, I just can't see that that many people would have had their hands on it. And, you know, looking at how many of those things were made, um, we're definitely at peak modular. You know, some modules are doing a thousand units or more now. Yeah. Um, I don't think any one of any module ever, you know, going back 10 years or more will have done that. Right. So, well, yeah, we're definitely at the, it's, it's, it's current peak, but I don't know if it's the, the peak of modular. Okay, that's comforting to hear because that was going to be one of my next questions for you. Um, I, I've heard a couple people start rumbling that, that they think it's already at a, an oversaturation point and that it's going to start decreasing in popularity but i'm not getting that vibe but i'm a little biased because all i do really is is talk to people about modular synthesis so (laughs) (laughs) yeah um it's you're right and i'd heard those mumblings um i won't name names but from some manufacturers and and well-known ones you know Mm -hmm. this is as big as it's gonna get this bubble's got to burst soon and you know same from users and other manufacturers that are really positive about it i think we're definitely at saturation point and there's a really um kind of key parallel to be made in the guitar pedal market, I think. Yeah. Um, friends that have been out on tour playing guitars in bands, you know, were in, had that same kind of lust for equipment and modular and, and patching up things on pedal boards in the same way we do with the Yororak stuff as those guys did with pedals. And they, you know, that was that was maybe 10 years ago for the pedals. Yeah, I was I was definitely in, in the middle of that swirl and I was I was playing a lot of guitar. I was in a band and... Um, that's how I met my buddy Greg Markle, who runs Recovery Effects, and um, yeah, so he he's kind of the guy I bounce all these ideas off of as far as um, you know where where the market's heading and everything because you know he's he's a manufacturer. Um, yeah, it, it does feel very similar to that. Sorry, I don't I don't I hope I didn't cut you off, but no, no, I I, I was kind of freewheeling where I was going there, <laughs> but yeah, it, I mean it didn't burst. The guitar pedal thing didn't burst it didn't disappear but it was certainly at certainly the kind of boutique market you know there's always been boss pedals and they continue to sell well mm-hmm. um for for good reason but um yeah i mean you know zvex are still around earthquaker devices are a huge company yeah um, they're a, bit, a, a bigger pedal company potentially but they're not a big company in, in that in 
you know, looking at music tech as a whole or, or even guitar as a whole. Right, and I think right. Yoro, I don't know where it's going to go. I, we're definitely saturated, um, you know, just looking at the amount of, say, video requests I get from manufacturers of modules that are very similar in a short space of time as well. Uh, that's been a big thing that, I, on a personal level, I've noticed of, you know, the distance between the next Moog ladder filter coming out would be a few months if you go back a couple of years. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, oh, cool, someone else has done a different take on this. It's got a mixer built in or it drives a little more. You, you know, you're seeing those modules that are really similar, kind of pushing up against each other, I think, a lot more than we used to. But maybe that'll push innovation or i don't know it's it's a bit like um, when people ask about behringer getting into the market the, mm-hmm. there's obviously a lot of people that wouldn't be happy but there are also some that think well if they just come in and clone everything they do all the vintage circuits the market will just move somewhere else and maybe that would hurt a lot of people but good designers and engineers or maybe the more forward thinking ones maybe would come out with some wacky stuff that would keep the scene as it is now happy and entertained maybe that's not for mass market maybe it is you know i don't know i i think the fact that roland have dipped their toes with say the ira range mm-hmm. um the fact that cog haven't Morg still haven't really i mean the mother 32 is really successful but Morg could just say here's the model d lado filter here it is and that would just smash the market wide open yeah. cog could do the same they could say here is the dual filter from the ms20 and then all the clones of that fil- filter and its circuits would suffer and i, I hope they don't because i have a lot of friends in this scene uh-huh. um <laughs> you know doing these sorts of things and we all like that stuff as much as the new wacky stuff but yeah th- they haven't and i don't know why um I don't think the margins is good because it's just not mass manufactured. Or yeah, that's kind of what I was wondering. If maybe some something like the Mother Thirty Two is something that, and the and the DFAM you can use with your modular setup. It's totally and it's even rackable, which is it's kind of yeah. it's kind of the best of both worlds. And I'm just wondering, I guess you could kind of throw that into maybe like a a groove box, not really, but I feel like kind of what is the ever changing idea of a groove box might be where things are heading like you know you have make noise doing like the no coast i could see more of the larger uh modular manufacturers doing something similar to that yeah and i think the way people are building systems and mainly live systems is kind of like that there's a great um really pounding dark techno artist called Ebsidic. used to perform as vco adsr it's a guy called uh, phil billsby mm-hmm. down in the south of england um and he He's, he's you know setups ever changing you know really great performances really well thought out one of the most produced sounding live modular performances i've heard it could be a dj if he went on in bergheim in berlin or trezor or some dark berlin techno club and he went on and then a dj it would have that same impact as if it's mastered and produced and really well eq'd and he's not on a huge setup either and I remember speaking to him about it, which I've done several times on and off camera, and he said, I'm basically trying to build my old Electribe. That's <laughs> what my system is at this point. And then I was like, well, take the Electribe out. This, you know, he's back-breaking, carrying a few rolls of modular around and yeah. a mixer. And then he, he did, he bought an Electribe again just to play around with, and then, you know, it's not made it way out to his live sets, but now he's experimenting with Electron boxes. And I think that stuff that... 
the electrons, even stuff like the Volkers to an extent, just quick jammable devices, whether that's like a briefcase, a modular electron, the DFAM, a semi-modular thing, the no coast. I think that wider music tech consensus is going that way. And yeah. maybe more of the modular guys will go that way. Yeah. I, I'm not sure. I think st with, with stuff like your, you know, a BeatStep Pro um, and the, what is the expert sleepers? Is it the ES8 that kind of can interface you with? Yeah. With, with those two pieces of gear, you can kind of marry those those worlds of electrons and, and Volcas so easily. And like you said, you could have a briefcase size set up modular. Um because you know there there's just there is stuff you can do with modular that is just i mean there's a reason it's so popular and i think that reason is because yeah. it's just so open ended and and the unpredictability and all that um but yeah i mean i yeah. i haven't found one of the i mean i like a lot of those little boxes and things even like you know the sub 100 pound pocket operators there's some good fun and and some interesting sounds to be had on that stuff but it's not obviously anywhere near the the vast range of modular but I've had a 6U case on the go as my kind of drum machine for a, a long time, for a few years. And that, as that's evolved and maybe I just drop an oscillator in, it's kind of like there's a whole track in there in terms of all the sequencing effects, some decent stereo mixing, some compression, plenty of drum voices, maybe a bass voice. And then, it, it you know, it's kind of like, I don't know, the electron box on steroids or, <laughs> you know, however you kind of want to look at it. Um, and that... Erica Sims techno box that our techno case that they advertised at um, Superbooth this year that's pretty much now out there. That thing got a lot of attention I felt from Superbooth back in May in Berlin, and that you know that's a drum machine with a 303 in it effectively, um, and it seemed to grab a lot of attention. Yeah, it seems like maybe like okay so with modular it's it's a great studio tool i mean it's it's probably one of the best studio tools if you want to make synthesizer music um or you know yeah. pretty much anything any sort of sound design but it it's definitely i'd say it's it's biggest its weakest point is a live setup so it i've kind of noticed or or maybe think i'm noticing but would love to ask you with stuff like what erica uh erica synths is doing and you you mentioned earlier more companies focusing on on uh, systems, do you think kind of the market fo focus right now is for live performance? Yeah, I think that's maybe, oh, what, was it last year or the year before? I, I joke every year that this year in Eurorack is the year of X, Y, or Z. Um, and <laughs> me and a few friends tend to joke about that. And we had the year of the performance mixer, it felt. <laughs> maybe that was two, one or two years ago. Uh -huh. um, there was the Chaos Devices Prager, the WMD performance mixer, some other smaller little stereo kind of output section style mixers. Um, the Bufaco one came out maybe a bit later on than that. You know, and they've, they've all got their pluses and minuses, but the idea that you will output a mix from a system... Mm -hmm which I would gravitate more towards live in my mind because um, you could just multi-track it in the studio. That was the start of it for me. I thought, ah, okay, so companies. And it's funny how these things happen, you know, five to ten of the same kind of thing come out. The year, Again, the year before or after, I've got the two years wrong, I noticed it was the year of the sampler. Uh -huh. Morphogene, 4MS, um, audio damage were doing the... Was it Enzo or something? Obviously, they're not in modular anymore, but there was a few and a couple of others, I'm sure. Uh, maybe the Nebula 2, Rossum announced the Assimilator. Maybe. 
Yeah, Grandpa. There was, a, again, about a span of a year, whether it was an actual calendar year or academic year or whatever, but within 12 months it seemed to be a good handful of samplers came out. Then it was mixers, you know, or the other way around. I've got all the dates mixed up. But, <laughs> it, yeah, I think this idea that more people want to take it out live. But then the the thing I'm hearing most at the minute is the weight of the cases. Yeah. That's the issue that everybody's got. Um, I, I've only ever done one modular gig. Um, fortunate to have done a ton of other gigs on other instruments, <laughs> but only ever done one. Yeah, we were talking um, about that uh, a few days ago, actually, and I definitely want to get to that because I think a lot of people would be really surprised to hear that you have only done one and it was just recently. Yeah, we, I mean, we can come to that at whatever point it suits, but th with, in terms of the case, the weight of it, um, I've got a great um, Ross Lamond. Uh, it's his DIY case, plywood, great, thick, solid case. I feel comfortable throwing it in and out of the back of a car. Um, really well constructed, but it was backbreaking carrying it across a field <laughs> in a festival. And then I think if I didn't, I drove to the festival as well. It was only that I wasn't, you know, around the back of a venue, up a flight of stairs and on stage that I probably noticed the weight. But, and not just that, in other cases as well, um, they're heavy. Yeah. Definitely. I think Intelligel's case is probably, and maybe the Make Noise Steel one. So companies, I guess, yeah, ringing right back around to what you actually asked about the performance thing. Yeah, Intelligel's case is Make Noise's new case. Uh, the kind of mixes that we're seeing in the format. Um, maybe some of the more basic effects modules even lend themselves to performance where people, you know, we've had things like the DLD for, um, sorry, the Echophone for a long time, mm -hmm. creative d delay, maybe a little big for live. And I think we've seen more other companies kind of going, you know what, we just want like a nice bit of stereo reverb, maybe a ping pong delay and maybe at some point a phaser or, or whatever. And we're seeing more of these slim little effects things as well. I think subconsciously or not, people are definitely painting or creating a pathway of modular being a live thing, which is great. I, I love the idea of it being live and compact. I don't want to take a bookcase of modular out. Right. I don't think anybody does. <laughs> right. Yeah, my big my big thing right now is I, I've I've got a, a Samsonite suitcase that I've, I've constructed to be able to carry uh, 6U 84HP and... I'm finding that that is just not enough. That's it's just probably like 20 HP too small for, I would say, at my skill level and my gear. Correct, um, creating a an engaging 25 minute performance. I think I could get a solid eight minutes out of it. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> that's a really interesting point. Sorry to just butt in, no, but no, this idea it. of the size of the case determining the length of time of the set. I remember interviewing Richard Devine a while ago and talking about that, that, look, if you have this 12U setup, how long can you perform for? And he was like, oh, that maybe cuts like 15, 20 minutes out. And and I've had these conversations before. And I, personally, 12U, I mean, I say this as if I play all the time. I've literally done one performance on the modular. <laughs> but that feels like enough. Uh -huh. um, I have friends that certainly live would be better than me i think on less equipment they've just they've done it more mm -hmm. um they've gone up and, and made the mistakes and honed the case the thing i haven't have had and i don't think it's necessarily skill level on the modular for anyone it's the experience of condensing the system down and realizing you know maybe those hex inverter drums could all just be tip top one sample players yeah maybe i don't need uh -huh. all those knobs just for the drums maybe 
maybe my sequencer doesn't need a load of knobs and sliders because I've got preset baselines that I want to call up or mm-hmm. it's, I haven't had the experience of, of scaling it back. I think that's kind of the, the arc of the modular user who who is is A, wanting to use it in the studio and B, trying to do it live. So that's kind of been my whole quest so far. And it's yeah. exactly what you're saying. You know, I'll get a piece of gear and then I'll start, okay, this this delay that I have is really, really cool, but could it be replaced by two distings that would be a quarter of its one size? You know, like these, <laughs> yeah. these are the questions you start thinking. And so I found that I could do nine. U is kind of like, I feel, I feel like I could comfortably do like 25 minutes with what I have, but I talked okay. to Tom, Tom Hall not too long ago and he was a six U and can pull off a live performance, but he's using some pretty, you know, he's using a lot of the e, uh, expert sleeper stuff and the uh, orthogonal devices uh, sequencer. Yeah. So, I mean, you get some of these powerhouses in there and you, you could do an 84, you know, 3U884 HP performance depending on what you have. So, I don't know. Yeah, I th- it totally depends on the style of music as well. Uh, it, I think, absolutely, you know? yeah. If you're doing just ambient or drone stuff, you could, yeah. Yeah, and it's not to say that any one style of music oh yeah you only need one row to do that you could get half hour out if it's this style no you've got to have at least four rows to make it engaging but it it you could different styles of others each different style to kind of nitpick it apart maybe there is a, a link to that um there's a performer doing dance music in the uk um and i noticed his sets quite housey techno stuff very club friendly um, more on the kind of housier side than any kind of dark techno stuff because he's using the tip top 808 drums live mm-hmm. sound amazing when you hear them through a PA I think a lot of people hear that 808 kick and go all the other bass drum modules have a ton of control and it's like well you hear that one on a system and it just delivers the goods and yeah. it's 4 HP so maybe live that is the better option but whether it is or not, the drums didn't change over an hour so when you're listening <laughs> back to these reco- recorded sets um you know, like I've heard the same hi-hat, the same clap, the same bass drum, maybe different little rim shots and the sim sounds are changing, mm-hmm. but it's, you know, like this isn't what an hour of house music is. All right, it's the same beat and it's the same tempo for the most part and that's what a DJ does, but it's not the exact same thing. And it's, you know, I, I've never produced dance music where I use the same drum samples it's not oh this is my kick drum so the next four tracks are going to be this kick right you know yeah when i've produced music like that it's always and then you know like a dj cherry picking people's tracks all right there's probably going to be a 909 type open hi-hat we know the kind of sounds we're going to get but they're different enough that that holds the interest and when i heard this set which is why i've not named their name because i don't want to be seemingly (laughs) negative i was like yeah it is the same pattern. It's house and techno. I know what I'm going to get. It's four to the floor on the kick, the hi-hats on the offbeat, all the usual stuff. But none of the sounds have changed. Mm-hmm. You skip through like a Richie Horton set, which, all right, minimal techno, it's a different kind of thing. but And it's subtle because they're long evolving transitional changes with what he's doing. But you don't get the same hi-hat for the whole set. You don't get the same kick for the whole set. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a little... <laughs> And then I'm thinking, well, how would the guy do it? Would he have to take out another roll just for secondary drums and then he could move to those and then repatch the others or tweak and then come back? Or, But then with samplers now, I guess, you just load up 10 kick samples that work really well and you just change the sample between parts. Or 
Yeah. I see. I I don't know why I'm so resistant to to using. I think I I got into modular to get away from all the things I was leaning on as far as like I was performing yeah. with Ableton live and uh you know i'd bring a, a, a synth and a guitar with me to play live and i just i really started realizing how much i was leaning on my samples so i think this was kind yeah. of a personal um reaction to that uh but i've also kind of been thinking about like okay if i have the if you are going to use the same drum sounds I, I i built this little switch where i can just two inputs one output and i can mute it in the middle and i'm finding yeah. that sending maybe sending um the same sound to two different effects can maybe yeah. change a character or something like that. But I feel like we are, we're definitely going down, down a rabbit hole. And I'm, I'm sure people are like, ask him more questions about him. <laughs> <laughs> we, Just really quick one on the switch. Cause that there is a switch by the Pusherman DIY group. Really simple, and probably why none of the big manufacturers have made it, because it's just passive. And like you said, it's literally two inputs. I don't know if it's the same one you've got. No, I, two I ins, made mine. It's, it's passive. I just wired it up really quick. This will be the same thing, but doing that makes such a huge difference. Um, to, oh, it's a game changer. A, yeah, yeah, it, totally different. And all, I think that's the other thing about performance is that we're seeing all these little utilities where you're like, uh, okay, I could crossfade, but I could crossfade between gate rhythms. Yep, that's um, what I, I use mine for CV input, gate inputs mostly, actually. Yeah. yeah, I could, at the flick of a switch, change from the LFO going to the filter to an envelope without having to pull a cable out. Mm -hmm. Or I've, That's another thing that we're leaning towards performance. Because in a studio, which is kind of 99% of my use of this stuff, that switch is useful and it's fun on the fly, but I don't really need it to be there because right. it's... I've got the freedom of the studio. I can lay stuff up. I've maybe got enough modules to not need to do it mm -hmm. compared to what I'd take out live and could physically carry. Um, yeah, but if you've questions for me specifically, well, pull me out of these rabbit holes yeah. as we go. <laughs> well, <laughs> while we're still, we're, we'll we'll slowly dig ourselves out of this live performance rabbit hole. But um, I, th I think this is this is like what a lot of the conversations that I'm having like privately with people about modular are kind of or in this vein. But um, so your, your first performance recently was mm. at a festival and you were out there with Mylar, if I'm correct. right? Yeah. 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 And um, how, how did that go? How did you feel about it? Um, I mean, I've me being the kind of um, content hard that I am, um, I've filmed <laughs> absolutely everything from some kind of like um, confession to camera video about my intentions before i set it up why i chose what i chose i filmed a couple of rehearsals that i had i filmed the gig it's not all online yet and i'm i'm well aware that i've over about four hours of content oh wow from from this because it was an hour performance i have two rehearsals that were one was 45 minutes one was 55 i've then got the gig which came in at about 50 minutes and then some setup stuff and i'm like no one's gonna watch this <laughs> maybe people on maybe and i don't mean to just try and shamelessly plug it but maybe people on patreon will that those people that really want to know about what i'm doing so i'll probably dump it all on there yeah but, that's perfect patreon um, stuff but but yeah just you know it's all the behind the scenes the bonus extras mm -hmm. here's here's literally everything um publicly what comes of that i'm not sure i'll probably just put the gig up and maybe a little roundup but oh yeah i was i was weirdly anxious i mean i've played and I never mean any of this with any kind of big ego or anything. I've just been fortunate to do some cool stuff. Mm -hmm. I've, I've played big gigs to, to big audiences with various acts and played all over and been through every 
well, not every, but all the kind of horror stories of stuff live. <laughs> and So it was kind of felt in a way prepared. And maybe I was a little bit too, again, not not ego-driven or anything, but maybe I was a bit too kind of blasé about it all. Just, oh, yeah, I, the gig will be fine. I'm, I'm kind of seasoned at gigging. That's that's what I did for a long time. I'll be fine. And then I got up to a, about a month beforehand, and I was, I was nervous. And it's funny because you touched on this earlier, but people, I was back and forth on Patreon and with friends who were like, why are you nervous? <laughs> and I'm like, because it's my first modular gig. Mm-hmm. It's like the first time I've done this. And like, yeah, but you, you've, you've gigged all the time. And man, all the videos you make and stuff. I'm like, yeah, but that's me talking to myself on camera. You have the power editing of editing. Yeah, <laughs> you have the power to, yeah. to choose what other people hear. Yeah. Yeah, and... and Thinking just really quickly, thinking of that editing, the first videos I'd made, I'd have to go back and reshoot. I'd maybe have to go and do some secondary voiceover that I would layer in. And over the years, that's fairly quick now. My editing's minimal because I've done it so much, which comes back to the gig of I just haven't done it in front of an audience much. The thing that freaked me out more than anything, and it wasn't like a major meltdown, but it was making me a bit anxious, it was for a yoga session. And I was like... Man, this oh, isn't my scene. Okay. So that's so that that felt really out of my hands. If they'd have just said play X amount of time, I I think I well, I would have been nervous still. I wouldn't have just been like, oh yeah, that's fine, and just turn up and do it, and it'd be good. But yeah, it was for a yoga session, and that came about because um, this is a really family friendly festival called Deer Shed, and me and Milo Melodies have worked in the science tent for the past two years, letting kids come and play on modular and all this other stuff. And we both said last year, let's do more. Like, there's some kids there that are like the ultimate little techno machines <laughs> about seven or eight years old. And I, I really wanted to get them playing, like me, my Melodies, and a couple of the kids that were really great through the weekend. Even if it wasn't on a proper stage, it was just in the kind of science kids tent that we mm-hmm. were in. Just, you know, Sunday afternoon, let's tell everyone else in the science tent to close off and we'll just let these kids perform for 10 minutes, like muting in and out drums and... And stuff, and it, they came back and were like, "Oh, will you play for a yoga session?" And I just <laughs> said yes. I was like, "This this is going to force me to go and do a gig." Um, so yeah, and that's an why interesting not? constraint to put on a live set. I mean, that that's that's yeah. got to totally change your headspace of what you would have done if they were just like, "Hey, we want you to play a set." You know, you're thinking I'd have had some drums if I yeah. was playing. I mean, there isn't any, so I I made it very kind of meditative, and but then I spoke to the yoga instructor. Um, and it was minimal conversation over email, so I didn't really get any feel for her or what they did much. And I don't go to yoga, so I have no idea. <laughs> but she was like, the thing she did say was, oh, yeah, you know, we start with some mellow kind of waves and stuff. And I'm like, all right, perfect, because I've got that down. Like, that's what I've got in my head. And, uh-huh. and I've, I'd, pre, I'd pre-patched the whole system for about three months before I even wow. started in my head. I was like, right, I want this kind of thing and this kind of thing and this kind of thing. And I was, t- I was taking notes while I was working at other jobs for, oh, yeah, it'd be cool if I could do this and maybe filter noise in this way, but then feed it back on itself. That would be cool. And I did a kind of lot of headspace planning before actually setting anything up. Um, but then at the second part from we start with nice washy waves was, and we get up to playing Justin Timberlake kind of pace tracks. And I was like, oh, okay. And I just emailed her back and said, you're not going to get Justin Timberlake. And she was like, oh, it doesn't have to be Justin Timberlake, but just stuff like that. And I'm like, you're not going to get it. And, and I think <laughs> evidently she, and you know, I'm, I'm not 
dig in on the yoga instructor. She was great, and it, it worked really well with her on stage, which I'll come to, but she didn't know what she was getting. She'd just been told, because there's a yoga tent at this festival. There's, you know, 10 yoga sessions on every day for every day the festival's on. And they just said, let's do this Yara Rack yoga thing. She must have just said yes. Okay. No idea what it was. <laughs> I was worried there'd be no time to sound check. I'd walk in. I was worried that my main worry was that a yoga session's going to finish at like, I can't remember the time I was on, but let's just say 10 to 5, and I'm on at 5. And I'm just having to plug a system in. And then I'm started thinking, there might not even be a PA system in there because it's not, you know, it's a big festival. There's huge rigs out on the main stages. But I was like, well, there might not even be a sound system. I might not even be able to hear myself. <laughs> um, and, it, you know, the sound system wasn't great yeah. in the end, but there was one. Um, but what... And that's, that, that was the kind of anxiety of it, I think, for me. I mean, I'd have been slightly nervous anyway, just getting up and playing in front of anyone, like at a modular meet or a specific gig. But the fact everything fell out of my hands and how it might be so inappropriate. I can deal with people not liking it. I'd have been happy to do a gig and people be like, either didn't enjoy it, which was clear while it was happening, or for friends afterwards to go, no, mate, I, th I think you missed the mark on that one. Uh -huh. I, I, can I can take that. I can take the critique. But the fact that this was so out of my hands is what led to um, some, 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 yeah, anxiety the week before. Well, yeah, and you could really, like, uh, just knowing myself and how, how deep I go down in the, uh, the anxiety, self-loathing kind of pathway, I could be like, oh, man, these, I'm going to be literally, like, taking people on a journey where they're trying to reach their inner peace or something like that. <laughs> I hope I don't disrupt something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I made it very... So she wasn't expecting this, but I made it very kind of meditative, droning, quite slow. Um, stupidly, really, I only did two rehearsals um, the week that it was happening. I should have done a bit more, but I just didn't have the space in the case and I'm moving stuff around for demos so often that... I couldn't afford to just kind of have this thing set up and, and patched and tweaked for a long time. Yeah. The first one wasn't a disaster. Um, and I guess I need to do a kind of general roundup video of this to go with putting the full performance online. But it was all right. But it was all the kind of typical mistakes you'd expect of. I was aiming for slow and transitional and droning and kind of effects smearing mm -hmm. the boundaries between all the patches. And it was just a bit quick. It was a bit rushed. You're like, oh, that sound that faded in was just a bit too sudden. Or Yeah, I mean, live rehearsals, I mean, live, live performances of with stuff like that, from my experience, it, it always seems rushed when I listen, because I record most of my live stuff. Yeah. And, I'm, and usually my I record my rehearsals so I can listen to them at work to kind of see what's working. And yeah. It's all. It's always ten minutes shorter. My live set, and I. I don't know what that. It must be like the adrenaline, or you know. Yeah, yeah. It was someone like um, Robin Rimbaud, um, scanner, a great artist, performer, composer. He. I've. I've been in conversations with him where I'm talking about performance from a position of experience on other instruments, just general performance, and he's maybe talking more specifically about modular to someone else, and he's saying these things about just take your time and. And I've kind of, I feel like I'm I'm good enough on other instruments to do that. I mean, if, you know, if I'm just playing drums on a tribute gig, then yeah. the song is the length of the song. Just don't rush it. But I was like, and you know, joining in the conversation with with some kind of tips for others, and then yeah, I totally did exactly the same thing. Yeah. So the the second the second rehearsal was a lot better. Um, I listened to it. Um, 
the same night that I did the, the recording, um, I listened to it just while I was packing down. I then listened again in the morning the day after and was like, okay, I think I've kind of figured all the bits that weren't as good as they should have been. The second rehearsal was quite good. And then the gig was nothing like either of them. <laughs> Never <laughs> Just is. Because I had sex because I had sections and, and, and areas and, and kind of patches to go to, little four voice string things, and then spent quite a bit of time getting this four voice wavetable thing going, all in key and harmonized and I was really happy with it. But then when I did the gig, you know, after maybe five minutes of the same sound, which in isolation, and maybe this is why I haven't put it online yet, I'm not sure. People might think it's really boring out of context, but five minutes would pass of very samey, droney stuff, but but working, it worked for the yoga session. And I was ready to change, and I'd look over to the instructor and she'd be saying, and breathe, and in, and that, you know, all, the, all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, well, she's not taking them anywhere yet. I, so I felt forced not in a bad way, but just I felt like, right, I can't move somewhere else. She's at whichever point in this yoga session that it is inappropriate well, for me to transition into something else. Yeah, that's an interesting curveball to be thrown as a performer. You're you're almost, you know, you're almost being conducted by a yoga instructor. Yeah. That's that's an and interesting she, way to, yeah. She was great. I mean, I, I'm, she was definitely, uh, definitely reacting to what I was doing. Um, but having, you know, never met each other outside of the hour before the event, it, we were just kind of bouncing off each other, but not, you know, maybe not as well. If she'd have known what was coming, if she could have heard this set or something beforehand, or, you know, if we d do another one in the future, maybe it'll be even better as a collaborative effort. But yeah. Well, if, if, go ahead. I was just going to say, if the performance was, we've got a kind of chill out tent, can you just come and play for an hour? It would have been much more like the second rehearsal that I did. Mm -hmm. Right. Being le being led by her, and she was great. The session was great. People enjoyed it. It worked really well. Um, they were really happy, as was I with the performance overall. Um, but it was it was a lot of new, strange things. Really, I felt <laughs> I left the gig from a kind of artistic point, feeling that man, I had so much more to offer that was still kind of suitable. Some things that maybe weren't that I'm like, all right, I'm glad I didn't well, go off into this like cordial thing because that wouldn't have happened. That, that wouldn't have gone down well. Yeah. That feeling though is, is what keeps, is what makes you book the next gig. Right. You know? Yeah. Like, so. well, I, I had, um, Ross Lamond holds an event here in the UK every year. And he, he like, like me with the events I hold, we always try and get performers on and a wide range of stuff so people can hear this properly in context, not it not just be a room full of lab equipment that we all geek out over at these modular <laughs> events. Um, and he was like, you're not saying no, you're playing at this event. And I, <laughs> and I was like, uh, uh, okay. <laughs> so I, I've committed to doing it again. And I think out of, because I want to force myself to d probably deliver what I intended, but maybe execute it better than I could at the time. Because I'll, again, I'll try and re rehearse it a couple of weeks beforehand. Um, I think I'm going to just try and do the same thing, but it'll be a lot less time. It won't be kind of 40, 50 minutes. Mm -hmm. Immediately, I was like, I've got to pull these modules out. This has to change. That one didn't work. Right. Trying to keep all those in tune was a pain. Oh, 40 or all 50 these kind minutes. Of... Oh, that <laughs> seems like that's so long for a modular set. <laughs> so. But, it, I mean, it kind of, 
and again, I don't mean this with some ego, like this will be the best ever, but I feel like I could have done 50 minutes well. Okay. Um, I, it was, there's enough in there, um, I think. The, I'm quite proud of the actual setup, but immediately I was like, yeah, if I pull this out and pull this out and pull this out, that'll make the performance better. Think, and it's trying to marry... Mm -hmm. Sorry, I'm just endlessly talking, <laughs> but it's trying to marry up those aspects of, I know that that case as it is has a good like 50 minute set in it yeah whether i would actually deliver that live in a, you know do a good job live maybe not because immediately i felt like i needed to change a few things well man, so, i know i know you just you just joked about you going on about this but i this is actually i think because I've, I've asked my audience what should we talk about and a lot of people are interested in, in live performance and i think you've given us a lot of good gems and like looking at your case Get, I think maybe a good, my takeaway from this is get to know your case and get to maybe a point where you can look at it and determine, I can pull X amount of minutes of this style of music out of my case and then maybe have a, have a goal. I want to be able to pull X amount of minutes of this style of music out of my case and that can maybe help you refine your live rig a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly that. I think you've hit the nail on the head. That spend some time, learn it. And, you know, if you're getting a really solid 20 minutes, but the gig you've got in six weeks is 40 minutes, then you then get into that mode of how can I save space? Mm -hmm. Can this be done in less space? Do I have to sell some modules to get how many, maybe smaller ones? How many or... two HP modules do I have to buy? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. That, that balance between actually being able to control it with your hands with the two HP stuff, which is great, but obviously a whole row of it is, is a nightmare. Right, yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, find that balance. And, you know, maybe it might be that the two HP filter sounds like what you're looking for, but you can't really control it. It doesn't have the nice big cut-off knob to turn in, in the position that you've put it in the case. It's slightly awkward. But if you're just going to CV it and you're not doing any kind of live playing of that, then do it you know drop it down into yep. a small little module that is a and big lesson i've learned is learn what ones you want to control manually and which ones you want to control cv and then explore your size options of that particular yeah. type of module exactly yeah i mean some specifics that where i definitely need to save some space i tried to do this four voice pluck string thing um well three voices but four outputs so one of them was rings with its two outputs and the kind of polyphonic overlap that it does so i could kind of fake two voices out of that mm -hmm. the other was the audio damage proton again capless strong uh clap on uh, capless strong string capless strong string synthesis <laughs> that is a mouthful um, kind of yeah 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 it completely tripped me up there same thing again you know just a pluck string kind of thing and then the two hp pluck uh, but they're all digital so they hold their tune well it's not drifting analog stuff, but when I was do so then I had to get a mixer that would fit all four of them in, and then I wanted rings in stereo because it's gorgeous that way. It mm -hmm. kind of ping pongs around, so I was like, I need a stereo mixer, but the actual main mixer, I have no inputs left to do that. So then, you know, I added probably 20 HP, and then when I actually did the performance, I just used rings and maybe a bit of the pluck underneath. Mm -hmm. um, they were all being fed different vault per octaves, which is why I wanted the option for multiple of them so that I could have simultaneous kind of chord tones going on or complementary chord tones in the background. And it, But it, it's kind of like, why am I trying to do this? A, in this <laughs> much space. Uh -huh. And ring, rings into the effects chain 
was good enough. Like it, it's interesting enough, and there's enough mileage in it that I didn't explore tonally that maybe it didn't need to be about four voices, like this chordal idea. And, and that's getting into musical approach. Do you want to present four voices, like that, like a four voice chord, or or, or are you exploring tones? Because there's a great a kind of quote from noisier um, drum and bass artists that said, um, once a, a pitch moves more than a semitone, your ear is drawn to the differences in pitch rather than the differences in tone. And, and they were talking about, you know, dubstep and modern drum and bass and all this really intense kind of moving mechanical transformer sounds that are in uh, drum and bass now and stuff. And they're saying if you just land on one note and you don't drift more than a semitone, you're completely focused in on the kind of sonic character, the way it's changing and modulating. As soon as you add an element of a bass line or much drift in pitch or larger stepped movement, your ear instantly switches over to following that pitch change. And I went back and listened to loads of stuff and I was like, damn, they're right. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, I, one thing about modular that I think is very cool, and I think this applies to all music making, but I think... It's it's especially applicable here. Is is you? There are a lot of questions you have to ask yourself about intent, and l like just learning new questions to ask yourself is an int it's, it's a, one of the most useful ways to, you know, build the optimal setup for you. Which is I don't know. That's kind of a, a weird concept to think about. Um, yeah, you, you've hit a really key word there for studio and live. Actually, for me. I, Again, live I've done one gig, so you could take that bit of a pinch of salt, but generally in terms of modular use. And that would be, you know, when people start bashing on, man, I hate all these really shitty, bleepy modular jams that people just film on their phones. And I'm like, well, what you've got to think about what their intent is. Mm -hmm. I'm guilty of just picking up my phone and, and putting 20 seconds on Instagram. And my intent is just to kind of go, hey, this patch is kind of cool. I'm not, but, you know, I will then, when I want to, go and film it properly. And I appreciate that everyone's in the position to get lighting up and the camera and all the kind of stuff with how I do my videos and other people do. But the intent of a quick 20 seconds on Instagram, they're not presenting themselves. It's not like they've said, here's my new single. Exactly. It's like, it's like Twitter and comedians, you know, like yeah. Twitter's a great place for them to shop little jokes or whatever. Um, and Instagram's yeah. a great place to be like, Hey, look at this patch I made. Also like with the ad demos that I do for the show, these patches that I make aren't for an album or they're not to be like, hey, check out how cool this patch is. It's more like, hey, watch what happens when I use these two modules together. Uh, right now I've got a Thomas Henry 555 VCO with a sequence going into it. And I've got the square wave coming straight out. Uh, that's what you hear now. And I've got the recover or the AI synthesis looping ADSR uh, controlling the pulse width modulation. So you can kind of hear that. Almost adds like a filter effect to it, but it's just nice—a little, little subtle thing. Can make it more intense, but let's keep it nice and dialed in. Um, and I've got that square wave split and going into the recovery effects cutting room floor delay. Can mess with this delay time. Bring in that flutter and wow. I'm gonna 
turn that back down. It's a nice, simple delay. Of course, you have the freeze knob. Now I've got the uh, H-Saw wave coming out, and I've got that going into channel 2 of the Motomatic from Recovery, and then I've got that CV being modulated by the stepped output of the Wogglebug. And then I have the uh, triangle wave coming out into the Motormatic uh, channel one, and I've got that being modulated by the maths. And then I have the sine wave going into the bad comrade with no modulation. down a little bit on this. It kind of sounds like a uh, haunted ice cream truck. Don't forget to go to AISynthesis.com and RecoveryEffects.com. And from now until September 30th, if you enter the code PODMOD at checkout at RecoveryEffects.com, you'll get 20% off plus free shipping on any of the recovery modules. Yeah, or it's the, you know, it's the, I just need 20 seconds to transition between this. Mm -hmm. and so you just make a cool little 20 seconds. Yep. It's not, it's not your greatest musical achievement. It's not, you haven't come across and said, this is the best melody I've ever wrote, or this is the most amazing bass sound design I've ever done. It's just, it's just a little bit of something. Uh -huh. But I think some people get caught up in just doing this kind of unintentional jam thing at that kind of level and i think people and it's not a, you know i don't i'm not trying to be condescending in any way but just step back a little bit those that feel like they may be stuck in doing that or certainly a lot of other people judge people for being like that it's just to take a step back from it and think what is my intent with this thing um i, I put a little track out recently um, and was teasing people on Instagram about it. And the reason that that is a track, and I had a really kind of long conversation with someone about this, the reason that I said this is a track, this is a, a release, this is a single or whatever you want to call it, and not just here's a patch jam or here's a modular jam video, is completely because of my intention going into making it. Now, it might not be that different from me just going, here's modular jam number 50 on YouTube. <laughs> uh -huh. it, might, it might be the same thing, but my intention was... I want to make a piece of really demented, uh, filthy acid house. <laughs> and and I quite liked it. So uh -huh. I was like, that's that's the track. That's it. That's done. That's a piece of music. And it should be presented that way. Well, I wanted to present it and have presented it that way. Um, 
I think the, the funny thing with that is, and again, it's not to say this music's so amazing and I'm really upset people haven't given it any attention or anything, but that maybe isn't what people are wanting from modular content either. You know, it, people, I don't know, people like the kind of jam thing and the learning. I've seen so many, I'm going down another rabbit hole, so I'll pull myself back out, but <laughs> I, it, seeing so many people play live at modular gigs and then the first thing someone will say to them as they come off stage is, oh man, what was that filter you were tweaking? The low end sounded great. And it's like, they're kind of not listening to it for its musical value or its artistic mm. intent. They're just, mm -hmm. it's almost like they're just there to cherry pick ideas. Or, or, or modules themselves. Like what module do I need? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> my, my fiance, yeah. who's not uh, a musician, but really likes music. Um, I've heard her, we were having a conversation with another, um, you know, audience member somewhere and just kind of talking about it. She's like, this is kind of, music for modular musicians though you know like a lot of the these things that we're listening to she's like it's interesting but i see other performers or people that i know who are into module like modular gear and modular performance i see them reacting to things during the set that i'm kind of baffled not baffled but kind of confused why why did they react so strongly to this subtle change and it's because oh my god they use this you know, this, they use the yeah, maths yeah, in this yeah. way. Oh, my God. You know, something like that. Yeah, or, or a sound comes in that they've maybe spoke to them about before they take the rig up on stage, and they're like, oh, man, this is that oscillator that he was talking yeah, about. And it's, yeah. <laughs> it's not, man, this this guy's bass line's great, or listen to what he's done with that drum programming, or listen to the melody he's composed on that seat. It's just, yeah, it's, it's very kind of gear indulgent. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm aware of that, you know, some people are into modular just as an electronics thing, as a DIY thing. Um, tinkering with DIY modules seems to satisfy people in the same way that, I don't know, playing around with a vintage car and right, endlessly exactly. tinkering the totally. engine. It's mm -hmm. that same, like, part of the brain, I think. Mm -hmm. um, I, there's, there's an interesting shift in some modular performers, I think, away from what they call the modular scene. They don't want to do gigs for a modular audience. You know, they don't just want to play at a modular event. They just want to go, I'm making um, IDM or techno or what. They, they probably don't pigeonhole themselves as, as, as bracketed as that. But, you know, Artist X says, I make techno, I should just be playing in techno clubs. Right. But, because it, but a modular audience... You know, think of a kind of modular meet event we do. Not everyone in that room's into techno or ambient or dub or whatever they're doing or drones. So it, that's that's the the whole connection of the scene is the gear. I think so little of it's actually about music. I feel a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm. I've. You know, I've noticed we we've got a pretty. We, our our scene here in Seattle is coalescing, and it's been kind of all built around our our little uh, our our shop called Patchworks, which is our modular synth shop here in Seattle, which is really cool. Um, and 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 they have events, and people are coalescing around that. And I'm I'm I hope it's not wishful thinking, but I'm seeing this this slow progression from it's primarily gear oriented. I feel like it's it's transitioning into more musical and more attention to the music being made as I think more friends are coming from people who aren't all modular artists. Um, I don't know that, that, yeah. that could be wishful I, thinking too. <laughs> I think you're right. I think as the scene's been growing, that, that has been coming more to the, to the forefront. I, I don't think it's that dominant just yet, but it, yeah, I'd agree that it's, it's a growing thing. Um, people with, you know, huge systems that must be like 
$50,000 up. And then I'm like, oh, man, have you recorded anything? And they're like, oh, no, I don't ever record it. I'm like, oh, what do you do? <laughs> well, and it, it, it's this collector mentality, kind of magpie collecting all the shiny things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it, that, I don't know, it's kind of weird. Um, there's, I don't really know where I'm going with this, but there's so many different... A lot of people seem to want to perform on modular and I that maybe don't have any kind of musical background. And that that's cool. I mean, I teach music as a day job. I'm all for people getting involved. Mm-hmm. But I think they don't realise that if, if they picked up a guitar and said to a guitar teacher, I want to play in a Guns N' Roses tribute band next week, <laughs> they'd, they'd hit a brick wall and they would very quickly realise it's not going to happen. I think things with technology, and it's not just modular, it's other music tech as well, because it gives you so much and there's a lot of good sound at your fingertips in a DAW, on, on modular, on pedals, on hardware stuff, it almost gives this illusion of, if I get this, I'll be able to perform or write or oh make the God. kind of music I've always wanted to. Or I've bought five it, modules with that thinking. <laughs> and I've sold three of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But when, when you've got some intent and some experience and, and a kind of real hunger to learn... You kind of can. I think that that still makes sense to a degree. Of, I oh mean, if I just get this, I could patch in this way. But it's from some intent. I think it's because it's not just following this kind of. That stuff sounds and looks cool. Mm-hmm. It's almost. I, yeah. I don't know if people get into it. Obviously, in a position where they don't have to, because they've got the, the finance to be able to do it. Um, you know kids with no money aren't doing the same things but it's almost like well if i just spend this money on this gear because i somehow perceive it as better than software or better than whatever that it will give them a good musical output and i think that's far from the case it is far (laughs) Um, from the case and i know from experience because i started that way and and it's it's funny you kind of just illustrated like the whole beginning of how i got into it and, and i was totally that magpie looking like if I just had that, and I've, I've, it, it was a slow prog- uh, transition, but I've come to the point where I'm like, I don't lust after that piece of gear anymore because I think it's going to, you know, revolutionize my music making. That's the thing that I need to, to fully reach my potential. Now I'm more like, what is this missing? And what functions, like what purpose do all these things serve? And, and is, are these all serving me in a way that I that is useful to my artistic vision and what do I, you know? So it, it definitely is a transition uh, for, well, hopefully yeah. people like that hit a transition, but yeah. And it's, it's a willingness, it's a willingness to learn as well. It, Cause I, I, I experienced myself again. I'm, I'm not trying to be condescending or be up on this kind of, you know, high chair looking down at everyone saying these kind of things. I had the exact experiences and still do. I'm still learning a lot, but you know, if you work a really busy job and you're away from home and you're just trying to learn piano, but you only get an hour on a Sunday afternoon to play piano, it's going to be really frustrating. Yep. And it's the same for modular. It won't, you know, all right, it sounds very different from a piano. It's a totally different instrument, but it's you still have to learn about it. And, and the added complexity of finding the right modules and knowing how to patch them and exploit them, and trying enough module, I think everybody kind of has to turn over a certain amount of gear as well. In that, I totally you're not going to buy a 
you're not going to buy a single role that is the right role for what you intend to do. Mm -hmm. I don't think anyone, and that's the real difficulty of making the demos and stuff that I do with a YouTube channel. I get that a lot. Man, what what should I get? I'm looking to get in a modular, all this stuff looks great. And it's like, I can't answer that question for you. Right. And it isn't because I get, I mean, I know people get sick of those threads. What should I buy first? And what should I buy next? And it's a bit annoying when people don't do their research, but the ultimate answer is that you can't answer that question for them. Yeah. Unless it's a really close friend or someone that you actually know and, and, and have That's had musical yeah. experience with, you can't just random guy on the internet say, man, well, this filter will do exactly what you want. You want to get these kind of oscillators and this type of mixer. Cause mm-hmm. you just might not speak to them at all. Right. Um, well, you mentioned something really interesting and, and like how much time is at your disposal to learn the gear that you want to get. That, that is a huge factor that I've recently learned that I need to take in because of my 40 hour a week job and producing this podcast, which is, is my passion. So I'm not complaining, but it takes a lot of time. Oh yeah. Um, I recent, I don't want to say what module it is because I, I don't want to say that I got rid of it because it was an amazing, <laughs> it was an amazing module, but I just looked at it. And as I was playing with it, I was like, I know that I do not have the time to fully get, you know, what this thing can give. And it's an yeah. expensive module and I would rather have somebody who can spend the time with that habit. So I had to get rid of something that I think if I had no 40 hour a week job would become like one of my main modules, but it was just like yeah. one of those crossroads. <laughs> An example of that, and this might even be what you're on about. I, I don't know. Cause we haven't spoken kind of off air about this, but looking at like the orthogonal devices, the ER 101, 102 sequencer, some friends quite local do amazing things on those. And they do come up occasionally and the 301 sound computer, mm-hmm. they look amazing, but I don't have time to properly learn them and exploit them. And I don't want to get this expensive thing and just kind of scratch its surface when I know I'd, I'd feel really disappointed in myself. I'd be looking into this. <laughs> it's almost like looking over the fence to this amazing playground in front of you, but never going into it. Yeah. It just, so, so and that's why I haven't done it. And I have a lot of gear to sell, but I'm well aware that, and you know, most of the people listening to this probably wouldn't take it that way, that they're that way but a big part of the scene would if i just list all these modules and i've been fortunate to work with a lot of these companies and amass quite a lot of gear they're gonna think that it's bad they're gonna think oh well div kid's selling this filter that filter can't be that good if he's keeping this other one instead yes. of this one well man and that's th- sorry go ahead no that, and that's not the case you know if i've got say two ladder filters here and i choose to sell one it's it's the one that just spoke to me more whether it's its interface or its sound or the way it responds to the type of oscillator that I like to plug into it. There's so much variance that it isn't the case of all this stuff I want to sell is bad. Mm-hmm. Well, you brought yeah. up an interesting point, but I want to I want to hit pause really quick, only because yep. we've already gone. We're already over an hour, which I'm super stoked about. Um, <laughs> and I was if if you still have how much more time do you have? Yeah, Chad? no, I'm I'm good. I'm good. Okay, because what I was thinking is we haven't got to. Any of the questions that I wanted to ask you about your role as me, and and I think a lot of people are going to want to hear just some of the the behind the curtain action of of what you do with your YouTube channel and everything. So if we could, yeah, that's cool. If we could switch gears and maybe I'll do a two parter. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm not trying, I I was well aware that I'd talk loads and you'd have to try and control me, but uh, (laughs) I can come back on, we can do a two parter. I'm, I'm totally down to talk about this stuff. 
All right, how about that? Ben, Div Kid, part one. Come back next week for part two. Um, we'll actually get into some of the questions that I ask him about his process of making uh, the videos and what it's like to be uh, a tastemaker in the world of modular. Really interesting conversation, and he's super candid about it. So be on the lookout for that next week. Also, reminder, KEXP and Living Computers present Waveform Music and Tech. That's Sunday, September 9th from 12 to 4 p.m. You can get your tickets at livingcomputers.org. I will be there as part of the uh, Patchworks Synth Petting Zoo. So come hang out, check out my my rig, and we can uh, we can talk about what I'm using, and you guys, yeah, we can talk about whatever you want. Just come hang out. Um, and then one final reminder about Lemon Jaya's EP out on Self Center Records. Go to selfcenterrecords.bandcamp.com to check that out. And if you would like to support the show, go to patreon.com forward slash modular modcast. Until next week. Thank you.